It was in October of 2017 when the Me Too movement hit. And many of our coaching clients were men in their 30s and their 40s. And consistently, we were hearing these um, pleas for help about how do they negotiate? You know, how do they navigate? How do they grow in skillfulness around, um, you know, how do we behave? What do we say? What are our mindsets? And that was just the beginning of this idea about what ha- what would happen if we brought together a lot of men who are struggling with this idea about how do I grow more skillful in managing my privilege. Um, and so we, we decided that we would create something. Originally, we were calling it the Men's Leadership Accelerator, um, where we would pull together men that were hungry to learn more about equity, and, um, but in a way that was compassionate, and there was no shaming. And it was kind, and we would notice and grow in self-awareness, and then we would slightly shift behavior uh, because we learned something new. So that was the beginning of the Men's Leadership Accelerator, which grew and changed and renamed itself Equity Club. Today we're honored to have guests Dave Kozer, Director of Programs at Lancaster County Community Foundation, and Dr. Josh Keen, Director of Schools for School District of Lancaster, with us. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. How you Thank doing? You. I'm great. Happy to be here. Good. I'm so glad you're both Absolutely. Here. Thank you for having us. Yes, absolutely. And thanks for being members of Equity Club. We get so many questions about what is Equity Club that we finally decided let's just podcast it. Um, and we'll let the guys explain it. So, um, so, so let's just jump right in. So Dave, do you remember, how did you first hear about this group? I got an email. Um, I think it was from Kate Coleman and and it explained, um, you know, what you're looking to do with this group. And I was thinking, Hey, this sounds great. Um, you know, at the community foundation, we're very interested in equity and it's been something that I've been passionate about over the last few years, even as I try to wrestle with figuring out what it means, especially in the context of um, the work that we do at the Community Foundation and in the context of today's political environment and all of that. Uh, so when I saw the email, I was like, yeah, I think I might want to do this. And, and I talked to some co-workers and they said, yeah, this sounds like something you should do. So yeah, it worked out in the end once um, I figured out, you know, yeah, I can make this happen. And, and uh, yeah, it's been great. It's been a, a great journey. Okay, great. Good. Um, so Josh, why did you decide to join? I think my uh, experience was not that much just dissimilar to Dave's. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I have worked with you for a, a couple of years now mm-hmm. um, with doing some one-on-one executive coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm the happy recipient of <laughs> frequent emails from Work Wisdom describing some other opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one absolutely piqued my interest. Um, at the same time, 
the email was coming out, the school district of Lancaster is embarking on um, some major equity work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're looking at some of the disproportionality that we have, whether it's in our hiring practices or um, how we handle discipline with students. And, you know, I just felt it was a um, it was a great opportunity for me to build my skill set and knowledge base as a district level leader um, to to help push our work forward as as a school district. Yeah, that's great. When even though this original germ of an idea um, grew out of the Me Too movement and how to how do men navigate through gender inequity and um, become allies. Um, it, it quickly spilled over into all dimensions of inequity. And this this group of um, men who have um, really embarked on how do we become allies, how do we use our privilege in, in a responsible way, um, you all have been investigating all kinds of areas. It's not just about gender inequity. Um, we've talked about race and even ableism, and I don't think we've gotten to ageism yet. But we're looking at how do we um, look at structural ways of becoming more equitable regardless of the dimension of inequity. So um, so Equity Club is actually based on something called an authenticity circle. I thought our, our listeners might be interested in knowing the history of it. So I was at Hopkins in the 90s when I first learned about these authenticity circles and started using them in Baltimore and then brought them to Lancaster. Um, but it's, it's where you get a, a group of people, usually six to eight people um, that are all from different organizations together and you swear them to secrecy and so it's the Vegas rule Um, and so everyone um, behaves in certain ways where there are norms and a lot of psychological safety it's highly facilitated this one is facilitated by Kate Coleman or myself Um, and and um, usually everyone has a chance to share some struggle or some opportunity that they're vetting and then get the feedback from each other. And I think that usually we try and ask the Socratic questions that help the other person grow. So that's a little bit of what an authenticity circle is. And it's worked so well for so many of our clients over the decades that we thought, heck, let's cut and paste those methods onto this notion of equity. Um, So so the club has been in existence for maybe six months. I'm trying to remember when this club started. I should know that, shouldn't I? I feel like it was, yeah, over the winter, so probably yeah. about six months. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so far, Dave, what, what do you like the most about Equity Club? Um, th- great question. There's a lot of things that I love about the club. Um, I guess, first and foremost, just the people that are in the group. Um, it's just a really great group of guys and also uh, the facilitators are, are wonderful um, I'm looking at you Kedrin and, and Kate does such a, a phenomenal Thank job um, but yeah it's just um, you know I just feel like people are so like-minded um, you know we we're kind of all you know 
leaders, I would say, in different mm-hmm. capacities mm-hmm. Um, within the community and in different organizations. And, you know, we care about equity. We care about integrating, you know, this work into um, what we're trying to accomplish in the community, but maybe in slightly different ways. Uh, so I just really, I just really like the, the guys in the group. And I just, I, I trust them. You know, I feel like you, you talked about the, the swearing to secrecy earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really do feel like that, you know, what's shared in the group, you know, stays in the group. And um, it's a really just mutually supportive environment. I mean, we're, we're all trying to figure this stuff out together. Um, I don't think any of us really counts ourselves an expert on this this topic, um, but we all kind of feel compelled to act in a way that um, you know really brings about positive change in our community. And and the guys in the group just really are, are supportive of each other, kind mm-hmm. of on our own unique journeys, which is just pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Josh, what do you like the most about the group? I, I mean, I have to agree wholeheartedly with Dave in that um, I think the the members it, it was just, it's a great combination of members of the mm-hmm. group, and so I actually started one session later than everyone else because of a conflict. Um, and didn't know what to expect. So I missed all of the the norming, kind of the rule setting, the um, cut your thumb and blood <laughs> swear to secrecy. That didn't happen. Um, or maybe it kind did. Of thing. Yeah. Um, and so walking in my first day, I didn't know what exactly to expect, but uh, immediately my guard was down. Mm. Um, the level of comfort in the room um, has a lot to do with the facilitation, mm-hmm. uh, but also the members of the group. And mm-hmm. so it was very, very easy to be transparent and honest and open and vulnerable um, with them. And and so it's um, it's absolutely been beneficial. I think for the other thing for me, though, um, and, and I say this as being an educator, um, so often the only people I ever talk to are educators. Mm-hmm. Um, and I at times have this mindset that nobody actually gets us because, or no one else gets us because you're not an educator. And, and so what I've really found is, um, you know, it's, we have folks from um, the nonprofit world, the profit world, um, and obviously me being in education and, and uh, we're all wrestling with the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, and this notion of, um, you know, what our, our organizations need um, around this idea of equity aren't that far off of each other. And mm-hmm. so it's been, it's been a great opportunity to kind of understand that regardless of, you know, what your business is, there's, uh, we have some real strong commonalities with what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been fantastic to watch. So um, really the goal of the group was to, f- to create this container that was safe where people could feel vulnerable and people could talk about hard things like bias and be honest about um, our bias. Um, so we, we also not only wanted to grow in self-awareness, but we also really wanted to start gently changing behaviors and uh, learn about what already exists out there to de-bias, to create um, more equitable workplaces. So I just wanted to ask, have have either of you altered any of your either behaviors or mindsets or um, habits in the workplace as a result of being part of Equity Club? 
Dave, do you have one? Yeah, I, I you know, I'll be upfront. <laughs> I'm I'm a, a white male, a straight white male who was born and raised in Lancaster County, so I have pretty much all of the privilege that somebody could possibly be afforded. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for a lot of my life, I kind of walked through it kind of blissfully unaware of this privilege mm-hmm. and just thinking, oh, like everybody's kind of on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of all had the same opportunities, and it's only been in more recent years where I've kind of you know, dived a little bit deeper and, and thought a little bit deeper about my privilege and, and what that all means and kind of realizing, you know, there's a, a quote from somewhere, I forget where it is, but, um, you know, so many people are born on third base and they think that they've hit a triple. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think that was the case for me. Um, and, um, yeah, there, there are people who, you know, maybe they were born on first base, maybe they were born at home plate, maybe they weren't even in the ballpark, Mm -hmm. um, just based on their, their circumstances and, um, just kind of unpacking some of that. So yeah, as we went through, uh, some of the things, uh, we, we did the implicit bias test, Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was particularly relating to sexism and, Mm -hmm. and bias, um, kind of against women Mm -hmm. and just realizing that when I took that test, like, oh my gosh, like I have a lot of bias. Like mm-hmm. I really do. Even though I, I think of myself as being enlightened and, you know, I, I, I get this stuff and, and I'm not sexist and, and, you know, I voted for a woman for president and, you know, so I, therefore I can't be sexist. Mm-hmm. And, and then you just kind of realize that this stuff is so deep and it cuts so deep. Um, you know, it's, it's stuff that unconsciously uh, just kind of permeated our lives from the time that we were very young. Um, so once I, um, again, realized that and, and I realized I knew going into that test that, yes, I was probably going to have this bias because mm-hmm. I took the same test um, as it relates to race and racism and realized that I had a lot of those biases there as well. So mm-hmm. I wasn't terribly surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, but then actually seeing the results of that, um, I think I was just much more aware um, as I went into my next work week, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, thinking about things and even right down to saying things like you guys, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's sexist really, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be calling women guys, mm-hmm. um, and, and that sort of thing. So just trying to be much more aware of the words that I say, um, and the actions that I take and, you know, am I, um, am I promoting women or, mm. um, am I not? And, and just being a lot more aware of that sort of thing. Mm, that's so fantastic. Yeah. We're all, we're always interested in how do we turn up that dim- dimmer switch on our self-awareness and then how does it correlate to just even slight behavior change? Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's the sort of least painful way to change behavior is just to turn up that dimmer switch. Yeah. I know one time we talked about a really fantastic Harvard Business Review article that talks about creating bias-free organizations. Mm. And do you remember the curtain conversation? um, There was the story that the symphony orchestras were predominantly male for a very long time. And then they decided to put a curtain up before auditions. And after a couple of years of curtains... Um, all of a sudden it became more closer to 50-50. So it's amazing how that works. <laughs> it, it is, just a curtain. And so, yeah. you know, one of the things that we've talked about is what are the curtains? You know, what are the simple fixes? There are lots of really hard, deep fixes, but what are some of the simple structural fixes that we can adopt so that we can um, we can get to a place of, of greater equity? So... Uh, Josh, did you have any um, either mindset shifts or 
you know, concrete behavior shifts, new habits that maybe have come about since joining Equity Club? Uh, absolutely. I, th- I feel um, in many ways, uh, the, the, in the same ways with Dave, that the level of awareness has mm-hmm. been heightened. Um, and, but as you may, as you remember from our, some of our one-on-one coaching, um, mm-hmm. one of my areas of growth is in, around assertiveness. Mm-hmm. And so really it's, it's become a personal challenge to, um, stop being a bystander mm-hmm. and actually, um, use the level of awareness that I'm gaining, um, from these conversations to, um, to kind of get in the game and state and say some things. Mm-hmm. And, and as a, as a leader of leaders in the school district, you know, I have a responsibility for that. And so, um, you know, using, um, using some of the, um, some of the things that I've learned, mm-hmm. um, having candid conversations with the people that I work with, um, and even at times the people that I work for, mm-hmm. um, around the work that we are taking on inequity and, and, um, and it's, it's not comfortable for me yet. And I'm just starting to scratch the surface, but it's definitely, you know, where my, where my area of focus is as I move forward. Mm, thank you so much. Yeah, that's really fantastic. I think it takes, um, it takes moving, moving the needle on that assertiveness. Um, and sometimes when it's something this important, we can dig deep and be more assertive, um, especially when it's high social responsibility and, you know, taking care of others uh, whom we love and, um, you know, when we have daughters and wives and all of that. So, um, so I, one of the things about the model that, that we were really intentional about is that we wouldn't allow two people from the same organization to be a member of Equity Club because of power, because of confidentiality, because we wanted people to feel they could be vulnerable. So um, I'm just curious. I've not really asked you to this before, but, you know, do you think that it would work to take an equity club model and, and cut and paste and put it inside of a company so that they could have their own internal equity club? Or do you think part of the magic is that it is, um, people from very different walks of life? So I don't know, Josh, what do you think about that one? You know, I really, um, I've contemplated on this question. Um, and you know, I think, I think there's absolutely a charm in bringing folks together that don't know each other, that don't work with each other and, and, um, you know, allowing a relationship to grow and develop. And, um, and in some ways it's a little easier that way. Um, and so just because it's easy doesn't mean we have to kind of subscribe to that. So I, I think, you know, it, it could work. Um, there would need to be significant groundwork laid before people would walk in a room together. Mm -hmm. Um, and just from a a sense of safety, a willingness to be transparent and, and be receptive to some hard questions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and understanding that you can build all the norms that you want, but the reality is when you walk out of there, you're going to see these people day in and day out, depending on the size of your organization. And, and it's potentially going to impact your work. So, um, I, I wouldn't say that it can't work, but I have to believe that it would, the front loading of a lot of the, um, you know, the structures and supports and the, um, 
even common language mm-hmm. and expectations yeah. and, and those kind of things would have to be pretty significant. Hmm. And I wonder, too, about kind of power dynamics within an organization. And, um, you know, that's definitely something to consider. Like if somebody is a subordinate of somebody else and, um, you know, are they feeling like their words are being judged? And, you know, if they say the wrong thing, could this reflect badly on a performance review or or something like that. Um, you know, I could imagine that being a, a real concern. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I agree with Josh. I think it depends on the, on the context and kind of the level of trust that's already been established, how long have, have people worked together, um, you know, that might have an impact on things. Um, yeah, I, I think it could work. Yeah. I, I, you know, I could imagine I, I could imagine it working within my own organization, mm-hmm. but I kind of feel like we have such an exceptional work environment mm-hmm. <laughs> um, at the Community Foundation. You do. Um, <laughs> at, at, where people are just really open to, yeah. to learning and open to feedback and, and all of that. So I feel like it could work theoretically at our organization. I Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like with, with some organizations, it might be a challenge. Mm-hmm. It might be a real stretch. Yeah. yeah, because I think part of the reason why this works so well is because there's a gentleness that we have with each other sort of forgiveness Mm -hmm. like oh you know i'm a jerk you're a jerk like we're both (laughs) in this together yeah um yeah as actually anthony DeMello used to say that um that's his secret i'm a jerk you're a jerk you know but um yeah i think that's the way we approach things in equity class absolutely yeah Yeah. (laughs) i can i can um easily count the number of times that it was said um i wouldn't say that outside of this room yeah thing and like it's it's uh, cajoling type of um, advice yeah. without a doubt and, yeah. um, and, and but it's also a great support yeah because it's a place to start from you know and we can actually be really honest and so I think that would be the challenge about you know if your workplace had that kind of openness transparency forgiveness you know psychological safety then it might be a place that equity club could really be successful but yeah. maybe maybe not <laughs> maybe not <laughs> other places. yeah it's probably one of those things where maybe a, a, a feasibility assessment yeah. might need to be done right. ahead yeah. of time right. with the yeah. organization right. you know yeah. what yeah. kind of culture exists here how well do people know each other yeah. how exactly how yeah what's the level of openness mm-hmm. um, even just have. the size of the yeah. organization mm-hmm. if you have a large enough peer group mm-hmm. um, where it's there is no power structure you're just all in common roles I think that would be possible yeah. there um, it would be hard sitting there with your supervisor yeah, yeah. to do so, to have some of these conversations yeah so who do you think would benefit from joining an equity club anybody I was going to say that it, list is limitless yeah. okay it really is and yeah I, I, I think first you you have to have done a little work on your own um, and be willing to continue to do more work and be vulnerable. And, I, you know, that there are some preconditions to it. Um, I don't think it's specific to um, a, a job or a, an, a um, specific to the type of employment that you have. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's the type of person that um, that wants to be better. And what do you think their motivation is? What motivates someone to to sign up? I think I think it starts with being aware of privilege and you know what that entails and you know the fact that you know if if you're privileged in in a certain way that means somebody else is not. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that takes a while for people to to comprehend. It took me a while to comprehend that concept mm-hmm. that 
okay, it, first of all, for me to acknowledge that I had privilege as, as a straight white male, um, that took a while for, for me to even get to that point. Mm-hmm. But then to understand the next level of that, which means somebody else is equally disadvantaged mm-hmm. because of the fact that I am so privileged. So I think it's kind of having that awareness. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have that awareness, um, maybe it's not the right thing for you at this time. You know, maybe, maybe down the road... Um, it would be a good thing. Uh, I, I think it, it definitely starts with that, though, because if you're resistant to that idea of privilege mm-hmm. and having advantage while other people are disadvantaged, if, if that doesn't feel right to you, um, it's going to be hard for you to engage, I think, with this group. That's not to say that maybe there's, you know, another group. Yeah, um, maybe we you know, could for, have, like, yeah. free racks. Right, yeah. right. Like, a, <laughs> you, you start off at a certain level right, and build up. Club for, 100. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and I know this is making me... 500. Yeah, right. yeah. I know I'm, I'm sounding very arrogant right now because I'm making it sound like I'm farther along than other people, and, and that's really not the point. No, I don't think you sound arrogant <laughs> at all. But I do think that there's some, there's a path, and I think that we grow in, in you know, enlightenment, awareness over time, and it does take a while, and there's pain Every time you turn up that dimmer switch, I think, um, if we're being honest with ourselves. So I'm just so grateful to both of you and the other men that are part of Equity Club. I know that that there are people who want to write about Equity Club and who are these people who would come together to spend um, time uh, thinking about this and thinking in really concrete ways about how to be allies and reverse in inequity. So um, so I'm really grateful to both of you for the work that you're doing. I'm grateful to you for your vulnerability and your openness um, and for being on the podcast today too. So happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we're going to close as we always do with a one minute wisdom from Anthony DeMello. The the master demanded seriousness of purpose from those who sought discipleship, but he chided his disciples when they strained themselves in spiritual endeavor. What he proposed was lighthearted seriousness or serious lightheartedness, like that of a sportsman in a game or an actor in a play, and much, much patience. Forced flowers have no fragrance, he would say. Forced fruit will lose its taste.